Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today it is time for a second in the month of May Feminist Movie Friday. Well, the last one was a Feminist Movie Wednesday. This one might be too, but I think it's a Friday. (laughs) Either way. Whichever. Feminist Movie Day. Feminist Movie Day. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And this one, I'm really, really excited to talk about. Uh, It was a suggestion of yours, and you have some really fond memories of it, right? I do. So, obviously, we had to do something for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. It needed to be done. You're welcome. Um, and even though it's not in the U.S., this is one of the first films I think I really watched where I was like, oh, look, an Asian character that is being seen as human and not just the sidekick or the comic relief and actually seen as the it girl, the actual girl who gets the main guy. Oh, my God. And mm-hmm. also highlights one of the big actresses since then, Kira Knightley. Yes. Mm-hmm. Bend it like Beckham. And when we were originally trying to find a movie, because I was like, we need to, we need to do this. We already, we already did Joy Luck Club uh, as a book. So do we need to do the film? I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And then I mentioned this movie and you said, oh yeah, I've never seen it. In which I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's it. We're watching this <laughs> immediately. Because yeah. it was one of my favorite films. So this was two years after I graduated high school three years. And I just loved everything about this. Somewhat wholesome. Uh, It was a big movie uh, directed by an Indian director who also had one of my favorite Bollywood films, Bride and Prejudice. And y'all, if you've never seen it, I remember watching this in college and loving every bit of it as cheesy as it can get, but delightful as it can get because it's Bollywood. And if you don't know what Bollywood is, it's delightful. It is amazing. It is colorful. It is bright. It makes you feel nice. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Of course, we're not going to talk about any of the politics of it all, of Bollywood industry, but in itself, it was highly celebrated and loved. And the fact that it had some international reigns during that time, it was awesome. So Bend It Like Beckham is one of my favorite movies. I used to watch it all the time. As in fact, I found my DVD yes. for this and watched it. I watched yes. it by myself in my room. I was very high, just delighted. I almost called you and be like, if you need to borrow my DVD, let me know. <laughs> um, because I loved everything about it. I loved, again, like I said, the heroine in this movie is an Indian woman who is phenomenal and gets the boy, even though we really didn't need the boy. But still, mm-hmm. for a person who had always seen rom-coms and it was always the white girl and the handsome man, Mm-hmm. To see this, even though she and I are not of the same ethnicity, you know, none of that. We're not from the same country, none of that. But it still felt representative because I was starved for representation, but this was mm-hmm. close. And I, it made me feel all the good feels. Also, I really loved soccer, so it was even better. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember when this came out, I wanted to see it. I remember, I'm a big person, I, I will rely on like word of mouth. Uh, so there's some movies I'm just going to see or that I'm interested to see. But a lot of times it'll be like, eh, maybe. But if, so, if people I trust are like, oh, you've got to go, then I want to go. And that it, this movie was one of those. And I also loved soccer, which by the way, I'm going to, once we get into the plot, we're going to switch to saying football. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, I also love soccer and my friends did and uh, my brothers did. And I remember that I remember the trailer really well and watching it and being like, ooh, because they weren't <laughs> they weren't sexualizing the players. No. Yeah. Uh, and they were really talented. Like they were really yeah. good. Uh, so I remember watching it and wanting to see it. But at the time, I believe uh, there was no theater near me. It was a struggle to get to the movie theater. It was like a a push to get my parents to do it. And for whatever reason, it just never happened. But I'm glad to have watched it. I watched it last night. And I almost texted you about the the opening graphics because it's very 2002. And I was like, oh, yes, I'm already into this. Did you see all the phones and the posters and everything about... Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think I saw some butterfly clips. Uh, a lot of butterfly clips. I loved it. I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it, too. I thought it was... I thought it it held up really well. And it it was very... It was a fun, joyous movie that it was like it had a lot of drama, but overall things kind of worked out and that was nice. It was a happy ending, which is what I need in life right now, okay? I need (laughs) happy endings. And it was actually soon after, I believe, that the Spice Girls broke up (gasps) when this filmed. I want to say that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not. It was definitely later because our heyday was like 1996. So, like, you have Mel, Sporty Spice, you'll have, you'll hear her soundtrack in there. Oh, really? It's her song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's her, I think, single's debut. So Sporty Spice, I think that's oh. other Mel, right? She has some tracks in there. Yeah, I got, I got you some fun facts. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. I have some fun facts too. 
I'll be interested <laughs> if you if you know the same fun facts as me. Probably. 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 <laughs> well, <laughs> let's get into it and see. All right, so the plot. Mend It Like Beckham is a 2002 sports comedy movie written, produced, and directed by Gurinder Shada. It stars Parminder Nagra as Jessminder Jess Kaur Brahma, Kira Knightley as Juliet Jules Paxson, Archie Punjabi as Pinky Kaur Brahma, and Jonathan Rise Myers as Joe. The title refers to how football slash soccer player David Beckham was known for getting past a line of defenders on the field with a free kick that curved the ball. There's actually really fascinating science behind this, but that's a different podcast. Though, Shada also spoke about the bending and how it referred to how women have to move to succeed in a male-dominated industry. And here's a quote. We can see the goal, but we too, like David Beckham, need to approach it in such a way where we twist and turn and bend our way into it. My film is about bending the rules to get what you want instead of breaking the rules. And funny enough to me, it was almost called Move It Like Mia, as in Mia Hamm, because studio execs were afraid Americans wouldn't know who David Beckham was. But Shadow was like, nope, 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 we're not doing that. And actually, a black player named Ian Wright was the inspiration for this whole idea. It was, this movie was a critical and financial success, and it accomplished a lot of first. First Western movie to be publicly shown and later broadcasted in North Korea, for instance. And Shada was the first British Asian woman to ever direct a feature film. And she wanted it to be a look at the evolving idea of Britishness. In 2015, it was adapted into a West End musical as well. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think she actually had a hand in that as well, the director. Yeah, I love that because I remember it being such a big deal that this British Asian woman did this huge film that was internationally successful. Mm -hmm. Because we know it's hard. It's hard for any director in general, but then a person of color coming through with uh, combining Indian culture with British culture and not just being British forward— is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that being the big chunk of uh, success and surprise that it was a success. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the plot follows Jess, who is the daughter of Indian Sikhs living in London. And Jess loves football. So the beginning scene is we see her imagining playing with Beckham. Yeah. It's quite a fun yes. scene. The uh, uh, cut, the uh, <laughs> editing of that is Quite funny. And mm-hmm. yes, actually, those are real broadcasters, if you have uh, watched the movie, that were for sports commentators for English football at that point in time. So to have them yeah. come on was a big deal, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nonetheless. Uh, but she, yes, she loves football, but her parents don't approve of her playing because she is a girl. However, Jess sometimes plays football with the boys in the park, including her friend Tony, who is very encouraging, by mm-hmm. the way, that we find out later is a closeted gay man. It's really sweet how they accept each other. But the part of her actually playing football, she kind of hides from her parents. They allow it. They kind of let it slide, but they're hoping she'll grow out of it. So she doesn't tell them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because they're really focused on the fact that their oldest daughter, her sister Pinky, is about to get married, which is a point of pride at this point. Mm-hmm. So one day, Jess's skills at football draws the attention of Jules, Kara Knightley, who is a member of a local amateur women's football team called the Hounslow Harriers. 
they are not, they were not a real team. <laughs> the two become friends, and Jules convinces Jess to try out for the team, saying, yeah, you'll do great. I've watched you for a little bit, and you are awesome. Uh, the team is led by a young Irish fellow named Joe, whose professional football aspirations were cut short due to his injuries. After she's accepted on the team, you know, it starts off with like, oh, no, who is this amateur to? Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jess pretends to get a part-time job to get around her parents' rule that she couldn't play after she tries to tell them she wants to play. Mm -hmm. So, Joe discovers her deception and goes to her father to convince him because she got caught. And so, she's like, no, I can't go. Mm -hmm. He tries to go let them know, hey, I'm cool. Everything's great. She can play. But the parents are like, nah, bro. Nah. (laughs) Her father telling Joe... He doesn't want Jess to experience the anti-Indian attitudes he encountered when he was excluded from a cricket club. And it's a really sad tale. It is, yeah. But, not to be deterred, uh, and with Pinky's help, Jess plays a match in Germany where the Harriers lose after Jess doesn't make a penalty kick. Later that night, they go out clubbing, um, and Jules walks in on Jess and Joe about to kiss, and it hurts their relationship because Jules is attracted to Joe, too. At the same time, Jess's parents find out that she attended the match through an article in the paper. Hmm. Uh, Once they're back home, Jess goes to Jules to try to mend their friendship, but Jules' mother overhears some of their conversation and believes them to be in a lesbian relationship. Jess's father goes to one of her games without telling her and sees one of the players on the opposing team use a racial slur against her, and then he also sees how Joe comforts her after. Um... This is a lot. A lot happens in this film. There's a lot of drama. As in fact, I don't think we talk about it, but Jules's mother is also very opposed to her being in yes. uh, football because it's too butch and manly, as she says. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about how Sporty Spice doesn't have a fella. She's the only one that doesn't have a fella, yep. as she says. Mm-hmm. And even tries to get her to buy sexy clothing, such as lingerie. Yep. And so her nightmare is that she would not be with a man at all. Oh, my God. Right, and we're going to talk about that for sure. She was definitely the character who was like, oh, wow. <laughs> you just said that out loud, did you? Okay. Yes. yes. Um, and then for more drama, it turns out that Pinky's wedding is the same day as the championship match that was going to be attended by an American talent scout. Jess is noticeably upset at the wedding, and her father finally urges her to go to the game so she can be happy for her sister's wedding day. So Jess hightails it over to the game, uh, changing clothes in the back of the car, which I was like, yep, I've been there. At first, the Harriers are behind, but they come back and win thanks to a free kick from Jess. After the game, the talent scout offers both Jess and Jules sports scholarships for California's Santa Clara University. And so they're ecstatic, of course, um, and they they hug and they kiss, and Jules' mom sees this, and she's only further convinced that they must be in a romantic relationship. She drives Jules to meet Jess at the wedding, uh, but then accuses Jess of being a lesbian and a hypocrite, and an angry Jules kind of steps in to clear things up and pulls her away, and they drive away quite angrily. <laughs> hmm. Can I rant for a sec? Please. 
pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands. Not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank. Brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. One of the big things in the key plots is because she was seen with Jules and they were hugging, Jess was seen with Jules. Mm-hmm. The in-laws, future in-laws of her sister, see them accidentally, right. assume that, that she was kissing on a boy, short hair, Jules, you know, mm-hmm. and calls off the wedding because she feels that this is a disgrace and dishonor to the family. Yeah. And essentially, Jess is the cause of breaking apart a marriage, which uh, was a love match, which they talk about and explain and how that uh, Pinky chose her husband and it was a love match and not necessarily an arrangement. And so it was bad. So this is why mm-hmm. she was like, I gotta, I can't go, I can't go, I can't do this because I just brought so much hurt and dishonor to my entire family. Mm-hmm. It was bad. Yeah. Um, and talks about a lot of the cultural ideas behind it. And then her father steps up and is like, I can't see you unhappy. Let me help. Mm-hmm. So the wedding day goes on. Jess can't find it in herself to tell her parents after she arrives back to the wedding after this victorious win mm-hmm. about the scholarships, worried her parents won't let her go to the U.S. Now, again, there's a lot of things that she have really pushed her family into doing. And she's kind of the golden child. Not that Pinky's not loved and not seen as a golden child, but they kind of rested that she would be the successful one of the family, mm-hmm. that Pinky would pull, push on the, into the traditions of being married and happily bringing in children and all that, while Jess would go on be a doctor at one point. That's what they said. Mm-hmm. So really hinging a lot on her. Yeah. 
but to help her out her friend Tony, who Jess had already mentioned maybe they should just get married, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, tells Jess's parents that they are engaged with the condition she goes to college at any school she wants. And of course, everybody's elated. Oh my God, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then Jess confesses because she can't handle lying to them anymore, including the fact that, that her dad let her go. So, and then her father has to tell, well, he didn't want her to be unhappy. And then also he didn't want her to go through the what he had gone through, that he was the one who lost out after giving up cricket, something that he loved so much. It didn't punish the racist people. It punished him. And that uh, he was giving her his blessing to continue to play and that she was brilliant, which, yes, made me want to say brilliant and layers all the time. Sorry yes. to the uh, English listeners for my bad accent. Yeah. It really makes me want to do it, though, because I love it so much. <laughs> but it did make me say that a lot. But we move on and Jess goes running to Joe in the middle of the football field, letting him know that, yes, she's been accepted and being able to go. And it's a wonderful embrace. And they almost kiss until he's and then she's like, no, I can't. I can't do this. I can't push my parents because there's no way. So they have a word, an Indian word for white people. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to say it because I feel like it might sound offensive coming from me, so I'm not going to, which they are not accepting. Uh, They said they couldn't marry white people. Like, all they say need to be an Indian person. She's like, I've pretty pushed pretty hard against my parents. I think this is one more thing they can't do. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, you know, we'll, call, we'll, we'll talk about it later and decide not to do this. Oh, but, you know. But... Of course, it can't. No, so we cut to the airport. I feel like the airport is such a always, always (laughs) this trope. I think it may be one of the English things, or like I don't know. I know uh, y'all have to tell me. Maybe it's the whole of UK. Y'all let me know because love actually is the same way Mm -hmm. with the airport. So I don't know. Is it dramatic? Is it more dramatic? To be fair, no. That's kind of just a whole trope. Yeah. The whole airport. So no, it's not just the English. It's everyone doing the whole <gasps> dramatic goodbye. Yeah. Or dramatic leave. romance. Yes. 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 Oh, I've got a fan fiction going right now. It's doing it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, well, uh, cut to the airport with Jess and Jules preparing to depart for California. Santa Clara. Santa Clara. I'm so sorry. I'm going to please cut that out. Can I please cut that out? <laughs> <laughs> uh, both of their families are there uh, to to tell them goodbye. And then Joe arrives. What? And he tells Jess he loves her. Uh, and they decide, you know what? We're going to figure out this relationship when Jess returns. Before they leave, Jules and Jess, uh, everybody sees David and Victoria Beckham. And they believe it to be a sign while Jess is gone, Pinky gets pregnant and their father gets back into cricket with Joe. Um, yeah. And then I guess Jules's parents are back together. Eh. They were never apart. No, oh, I thought they were divorced. No. Huh. No, no. Where did I get that idea? Hmm. <laughs> Maybe their relationship was just real bad. And I was they were just arguing with each other a lot. <laughs> it was the stereotypical father supporting his daughter uh, for sports and hoping to make her less interested in boys and her trying to get to boys and being mad that uh, he's making her a little more masculine because she likes sports, I guess. Yeah, which, again, we're going to talk about that because I think we have both have a lot to say about that. I did want to add, sadly, one year after this movie came out, the Women's United Soccer Association folded. 
Um, right. Which is the thing they talk about at the end. Like, we can right. join this. This was such a big thing. And like they had a whole little montage clip of different women soccer players around the world and celebrating that and wanting to become that and seeing that as a possibility. And yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I mean, <sighs> interesting is not necessarily the word I want to use, but I mean, we're still talking about the women's national team here in the United States getting right. equal pay and how they should get more coverage because they win more than men. They should, not even more, but more than they're getting now. They should get at least right. equal. All these battles that are still going on. Um, but that was that was something that kind of gave me pause at the end where I was like, oh, wow, yeah. We have we have made progress, right. but a lot more to be done. Well, to be fair, like 2002 was the beginning of a lot of change for me mm-hmm. as an individual, growing in my beliefs and understanding and, and having hope that women were more. Yeah. And this is kind of one more of those uh, moments of like, unfortunately, for everything that has happened in the past five years, it feels like a lot of step back. Mm-hmm. But during that time, it felt like a slow step forward. So for me, coming into age and having a stake, like not that I didn't have a stake before, but being able to have a voice in it as mm-hmm. a 20-something-year-old, as where I was under the roof of my parents and didn't have as much of a voice, it was definitely a point of change for me. Yeah, and I think one of the fun facts I kept running across was this is still, to this day, the top grossing football in terms of uh, that, the non-American use of the word, because I think we're the only ones that do that, movie in the United States. And they thought it wouldn't do well here at all because right. at the time we didn't really watch it. We didn't really care about it. Right. Um, but my, I know I mentioned this in a past episode, but my college roommate, who we actually, we grew up together and we played soccer together. Uh, she had a picture of Mia Hamm on her wall right. in college. Uh, right. And we would watch the games together. And I just remember feeling so, look at how amazing they are. Yeah. And uh, and for her to have that and to be, to put a poster up on her wall that she right. would look at, like that's amazing. I remember, so I distinctly remember Mia Hamm even before the movie, as well as the fact that David Beckham's name was huge at that point and really crossed, like, again, crossed internationally. If you came down to it record-wise, I don't think he was that great in comparison <laughs> to other footballers, but he was big enough that it made this impression. Mia Hamm's the same way, um, and we get to see so many things, and we have a wave, an influx of when people are interested and when people aren't. Um, typically has something to do with the World Cup whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, it brought on a lot. It brought in such a big theme. And it's hysterical on top of that because the director had no idea. Yes. No idea how soccer or football worked and was like, you know what? But this is this metaphor is so good. It's mm-hmm. so good. And it was. It was very catchy for uh, the UK at that point. So she was like, let's just go ahead and do it. That she took this giant risk and it paid off. Yes. Yeah. I love that part too. I love that part too. And it's so funny because like I've played sports, but I don't get super into them. But I find like I was super into watching this movie. I'm like, oh, you've got to <laughs> win. You want to, right? Yeah, <laughs> you got to win. There, there is a lot of intersectionality in this movie, and you can find several academic papers written about it um, and essays written about it, which is really interesting. But we'll go over a, a few key themes, and I think one of the big ones was obviously 
racism. Right. Particularly in, because as she said, she wanted to identify like, you know, evolving Britishness. Right. And what that looked like. And this is a first immigration, first generation immigration story. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot, and we've discussed uh, in in past episodes like Turning Red, we talked about Encanto a little bit, we talked about, oh, we haven't, but we saw uh, everything everywhere all at once. Um, and so we're kind of seeing this play out a lot, and it's interesting to me, you know, to see it from 2002, but it, that is different in kind of the, for us Americans, the Britishness aspect of it. But also, this is a first-generation immigrant story as opposed to what we've been seeing a lot lately is kind of a third. Right. Second or third right. um, story. Yeah, and this is fascinating. I think it, on, beyond that, we go, we go into seeing discrimination in a different way. For the U.S., it's a whole different layer of um, racism. For the British narrative here, and I'm, I'm talking about in England, and I know it's wider and broader in the UK, but for what the movie was, is addressing that because I know that conversation about Indians within uh, England has been really contentious. Um, I remember I was told when I went to visit, they were like, this is, the racism here is this. And it was a little different, but seemingly same lines because ignorance is ignorance and racism is racism and prejudice is prejudice and power plays come into effect into both of these. And trying to become uh, acclimated, but at the same time, keeping your identity was a big portion of this movie, which I did really appreciate. I thought, again, that's one of the things about the identity portion. It's like, okay, being a first generation coming in, really wanting to be a part of this culture and loving parts of this culture, but also loving my culture and my my family's culture and the generations before, how do I merge these together and respect them together? Right, 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 right. And to have the moment where she, the racial slur, like her father has that memory and for her right. to have it and to have it be weaponized against her as basically like you don't belong here. Whereas like constantly, right. you know, you're being othered, you're not British, which she is, uh, yeah. <laughs> at least, right. you know. and. Right. Uh, that's kind of seeing that generational difference, but still experiencing the same racism was it was one of the key hearts of the movie. Right. And I think they handled it and talked about it really well. Again, like I said, I think for U.S. Uh, viewers, it kind of went over our heads because we, we, we have discrimination against, obviously, uh, immigrations in general. Uh, but these were very specific to uh, like the terms and such was very specific to uh, the UK at that point in time. So for me, it kind of went over my head, but mm-hmm. at the same time, that hurt, that that other, that being discriminated against not only by a coach, but by a referee uh, seemingly and by players and being accepted to be that way, that resonates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, we're going to talk about kind of the family relationships in a minute, but there was, as you mentioned, kind of these expectations placed on Jess from her family about like helping her mother, doing chores, getting grades, being obedient and pleasant. And through that lens from other people, Jess experienced some racism where people were like, so that's weird. Like, right? what are you doing? So it was very, like for a movie that could, if you wanted, you could describe it simply as like a feel-good sports comedy movie, it had a lot of nuance in it Mm -hmm. around these kinds of things. And then I did find an essay about colorism 
uh, in this. And it was really, really interesting. And I would recommend looking up, again, there's so many essays written about this movie. Well, you know, one of the things that we do and are very talented at without knowing is coming up on anniversary dates mm -hmm. because this year, it celebrates 20 years since it was released. 2022 has been 20 years of yeah. 2002. So I was like, oh my God, how did we do this again? Because there's mm -hmm. articles about where are they now? And what did this mean? And the impact of this movie? And I was like, perfect timing is per usual. So therefore, there are a lot of good essays yeah. and discussions about this movie because of that. Yes. Every now and then, Samantha, accidental... We're really good at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the accidental yeah. accuracies. Yeah. I'll take it. I will take it. <laughs> But yeah, I would recommend uh, looking up that essay. I just wanted to mention it um, because I thought it was really interesting. But I think that the the essay would do it better justice because they are coming from personal experience. Um, I also wanted to talk about uh, queer relationships because we did mention quite a few. And this was something I didn't necessarily pick up on. But uh, there is a big, like, why couldn't Jules and Jess have been together uh, push. And Chada later admitted she, quote, chickened out on depicting a relationship between Jules and Jess due to fear of backlash from Indian audiences. So that's what she she said. I And there's so many essays about this, too. And there were a lot of people that are like, well, bisexuality is a thing or polyamory is a thing, you know not necessarily mean like they can't be in a relationship later or they couldn't all be in a relationship, Joe, Jules, and Jess. Uh, and I know, I know, I know before you get angry and send the email, it's different to like think about it versus actually see it uh, right. and have it confirmed. But I did think right. that was a good point to make because I feel like bisexuality especially often gets sort of completely dismissed. Right. She could still be queer. Yeah. <laughs> also, another part of this conversation is there was a bit of an anti, like there was a little bit of a homophobia in this whole context. And I was like, oh, that part didn't age too great because of the language it's used sometimes. And then like the mother and all of that, Jules's mother being ridiculous over the top. Um, all of those things do have like the moment of like, oh, this is kind of cringy, but it was 2002. And not necessarily that it had to be defined. Jules had a relationship with quote-unquote relationship with uh, the coach. However, her focus was not on any of that. Her focus was never on that. So I don't think it has, like that to me takes away from what was happening with her trying to find happiness. Point blank. Did I think, I think they did the typical throw in a romance because you know, you got to for the ladies. Yeah. I'm saying that like sarcastically, y'all. Mm -hmm. But that's essentially what was happening. I feel like that was like the throwaway part of the plot. It was about her finding her love and doing something that she loved, which included football, going away from her family, and standing up to her family, point mm -hmm. blank. And instead of focusing on a relationship or a romance, a doomed romance or like a starry-eyed romance that was, you know, rebellious, they focused on something else. And I appreciated that for a person who was always like... All these movies about founding boys. It wasn't. That was just a sign. Yeah. Okay, why not? And so any type of relationship to me was unnecessary. Mm -hmm. I kind of appreciated. I, I did appreciate that Jules did not find. Typically in these movies, you'll see that she's, she gets the secondary character. You know, the right. sidekick gets the secondary character. They didn't need that. Mm -hmm. Moving on. The fact that uh, her friend... Tony, you know, comes out as gay, I feel like was really a push of like, we needed to learn to accept and see what this looks like. That was more of the stance on the, of the sexuality, I think, than more than the relationships. That makes sense? 
Right. I agree. I mean, I think the the relationship definitely felt secondary. It felt like, you know, she wanted this right. football. I feel like that was for the audience. Like, here you go. Here you go. But this is not what we wanted. Right. The writers, necessarily. Right. Yeah. I mean, but as you said, it was nice to see, like... Again, <laughs> yes. There was that added plus of, like, oh, it wasn't the white girl who got it. Cool. Right. That makes me feel like... But, yeah, the overall was, like, it was more about her. This is about her taking her stand point blank, but it also was able to show like, yes, as a woman, as a white woman, she still had to struggle to make her way to be known, like to push into like getting that acceptance as well. It was easier for her than Jess, obviously, but you know, that was like, we all struggle a little bit type of conversation. But yeah, I think it was interesting that people talk about that and I don't, I'm like, yeah, why not? Why not? But I mean, like, I think I read that after I'd watched it and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see it. Um, Kira Knightley famously has said, yes, she wished she was on board with it. I did. <laughs> I saw a lot of articles about Tony being like the gay best friend, but also that he was actually, he was more fleshed out than that character normally is. And that it, at the time right. was still pretty rare to get that representation right. at all. Well, to me, like, yes, he could have been the gay best friend, but I think we see the gay best friend as being a caricature of the yes. gay person. And that's mm-hmm. why, like, it's so ridiculous that they become the jester of the movie. Same thing for people of color, marginalized people of color, that they become the jester, the the kicking bag, the punching bag, the clown mm-hmm. uh, in the background. And that's what happens. And he's not. He is the supportive friend who is really, like, the one who's like, you need to push for your dreams because he. I have a feeling would want that for himself as he's finding the love of his life. Like, that's kind of that same level, like, just accepting Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, trying to help someone who you have, when you struggle yourself, you want someone else to get that, somebody Mm -hmm. to be able to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. We had a good friendship. Yeah. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. 
Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. There's also uh, the stereotype that women soccer players are all gay, but I would also add, given what you said about Sporty Spice, just like sporty women. Right. <laughs> in, in <laughs> particularly like, I guess, male-dominated sports are gay. Right. Or something. Well, you know, like if not, they're going to be over-sexualized. So the friends right. of Tony's, the dudes, Indian guys who are coming to watch sports with Tony, watch uh, Justin with Tony, like the first thing comments is talking about uh, the black player, yeah. Mel, who uh, is like, look at her rack, which is really disgusting. And then, and then they're like, he's like, he stops and he goes, can you not see them as footballers? And they're like, started busting out laughing. Mm-hmm. They became kind of the joke, which I appreciated. It flips its head of like, you're the idiots. Here we go. Yeah. Um, BT Dubs, the player, the woman who plays Mel is the, one of the lead singers of All Saints who happens to be one of my favorite girl bands from the UK after Spice Girls. You're welcome. Yes, the fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I actually didn't know this until this year. I was like, oh, that was her? <laughs> I love all things. I still have that in my play. <laughs> nice. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely could connect it. I've told the story before. The boys would give us state names based on how big our boobs was and how mountainous the state was. And it's hard to focus on a sport when that's what you're hearing from the sidelines. Right. Especially when you're young and insecure. Right. Uh, there's also like uh, Jules's mom, who we're going to talk about more because she did say a lot of really problematic stuff purposefully. Like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. She yeah, was yeah. that caricature. Oh, yeah. Uh, she definitely, like, I use the word accused of being a lesbian on purpose. She did it as like, this is bad. This is right. real bad. Right. So there was that aspect as well. Um, And then one of the big themes in this is also friendships and friendships between women, which we talk about all the time. We sing the praises of. I saw a lot of um, people specifically mentioned uh, the differing body types, but also that they changed in the dressing room Mm -hmm. and this team and didn't seem to have like, they weren't insecure about it. Right. I wondered if you noticed the part about the tampon and she pulls it out and say the painters and decorators are in. And I guess that's a, a UK saying because I've never heard that phrase. <laughs> uh, but I was like, oh my God, we're talking about tampons. This is 2002. Someone actually pulled out a tampon in a movie. That's amazing. I and did, talk about yeah. the fact that she actually had her period. What? And that she was still playing sports? What? Mm-hmm. I did notice it indeed. Did you notice that? <laughs> I did. I did. And it was still shocking. And I'm still upset that it was shocking. <laughs> like, what? I, did, I didn't, like, that bypassed me mm. as a kid. I don't know if I was like, huh, okay, moving on. Or, like, didn't realize the significance in that. I really love that they left that in. I do say the part of the problematic portions are the uh, Pinky and her little friends. And I'm putting them in air quotes because they're all very competitive of each other. Oh, very yeah. judgmental. I feel like... It's definitely a stereotype to put in there when the girl's like about being married and who's doing this and who's hotter than what. It 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 was interesting to have that in there, the slut shaming, all of that. 
But it is reminiscent of a 1980s, 1990s uh, rom-com too, to have that in there. Mm -hmm. But we do get to see the good friendships in the team and how they truly support each other. I do love that. And the sister relationship, as fighting as they can be and as different as they are, they really do support each other. They do. They do. And there is the the aspect of like Jess and Jules get in a fight over Joe, which is sort of that competing over a guy thing. I do think... I think part of the issue is we've been like pitted against each other for so long, but I right. think this one is different. Like we see that all the time, so that's already kind of a problem. But this is different in that like maybe I'm reading this wrong, but Jess didn't seem to pick up on like either thing with Jules or with Joe. So it sort of seemed like, "Oh, <laughs> uh, I might be interested in this guy." And then they did make up. Um Eventually, right. I think it's, I think it's fair to say that we do have those fights, and there are jealousies right. that happen. I think that's I mean, legit. I could tell you a high school story which was similar to that, uh, but both of those things to say is Joe was never interested in Jules, mm-hmm. and that was very obvious. A, B. They went past it because they realized that wasn't the big deal in their lives. That's not what they cared about the most. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that from both ends. It's kind of like, yeah, we have crushes. Oh, no, this is a misunderstanding. Oh, but we were on to bigger things. I really love that move on. Yeah. And, you you know, you chose, they chose their friendship over that. Like, they didn't let it blow up because they realized, like, this is bigger. And this hopefully will stick around. So, yeah, I did appreciate that. Um, and then also, yes, there was family was a big part of this, uh, particularly the mother daughter relationship, also the mother father. But I just find this interesting with the mother daughter thing because I think we're seeing a lot of stuff right now, which again, 20 years later, hmm, where we are seeing these things of definitely like the, the patriarchal thing is still there 100%, but kind of the like women hurting other women mm-hmm. and not maybe realizing that they are. Right. Um, because of the systems that they were raised in and because of the expectations that were placed on them uh, and all of these things. So I just thought that was that was something that, huh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, right. this mother-daughter relationship is so complicated in these things. It is. Well, when you think about the generational things and what the expectations were for women as it goes mm-hmm. on, if you look at what is happening generationally, they're being more lenient as it comes, but it's still really difficult. And that leniency still doesn't meet the standard of modern society. Yeah. So as she states it, at the time I was your age, I was already ma- married cooking full Indian dinner. She actually says that. And at this point, she's like, you're going to learn some dishes. So she's waited this long to put this place on her because she did want to allow her to have that life. But she was scared for her because if she doesn't fall into these traditions, that means she's going to be an outcast. Mm-hmm. And, an out- and it doesn't affect just her. It affects the entirety of the family, including the sister, including them being, they, they were talking about the model wearing short, short skirts yeah. uh, and being kicked out of temple. Like, those are the things that we don't talk about as much as, like, the mother, as concerning and as judgmental as, as and as heavy as it feels, they really are thinking this is the betterment for their child. Yeah. As we're, because they don't have the opportunity to be like, eh, we don't have to do that, as where men can. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think there's definitely a fear aspect of, of getting outcast or uh, being judged or whatever it is. So I think it's kind right. of... 
It might not look that, that way, but I often think it's like a protective measure. Right. And if motherhood is the basis of who you are as a person mm. and you fail at that, you know, a father doesn't have that same. Mm-hmm. They have the legacy of the family, sure, but they're the providers and all of that. So it's kind of the outward scope. Mm-hmm. And then, But a mother, that is literally like, if you can't keep your children to follow through and maintain, then you have failed your one job. Yeah. <laughs> at least in, in this cultural idea in this moment. And she, uh, the director talks about how she had taken her own experience with her family mm-hmm. and her mother specifically was the inspiration to this mother who was strict. By the way, in the lineup of the uh, elderly Indian women mm-hmm. and the sister and the, the wedding party, mm-hmm. her mother is in that. Her oh, actual mother is in there. Cool. <laughs> Another fun fact. This fun one fact. is packed. Packed. <laughs> Uh, and then, yes, uh, finally, we wanted to talk about sports and women and sexism. Because there's just, like, tiny little pieces throughout where I kept picking up on, like, oh, okay, there's that. So there's a whole conversation about uh, Jess showing her bare legs um, and shorts and how that would not be appropriate. Um, there's several instances, one you already mentioned, of the players being sexualized. That is actually Nagra's... A leg is actually scarred from childhood. That mm-hmm. is real. And when she auditioned, before she auditioned, she actually sent an email. Her talent agent sent the email to the director, just like, just so you know, we know there's a scene, there's a giant scar. And because of that, the director actually wrote that in for her. That was not a part of the original movie. And I love that so much because mm-hmm. it was such an acceptance. Why didn't directors do that more often? Hmm. What could it be? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And her, I mean, even without the scars, I feel like a lot of us, when we were younger, a lot of those women had that moment of like embarrassment or shame around our legs. And then you've got the added thing of the scar. There was also uh, taking of measurements, a lot of talk about boobs. (laughs) Mangoes. Juicy, juicy mangoes. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. That's a line that my friends and I would say to each other. (laughs) Out of context, too. It didn't make sense, but I still love it. Yep, yep. Uh, There is a scene where Jules and her mother are shopping, and Jules is, like, looking at sports bras, and her mom is like, no, you need this gel bra. Like, you need all these other things. (laughs) And I have this Did you have a push-up bra? No. Well, I did when I got older. They're painful. Yeah, they are. I was I was actually really I was kind of like this where I was just like I just want a sports bra, <laughs> right? I don't need anything else. I'm nervous, um, and I had kind of I went through puberty early, so I had pretty big breast pretty early, so I was very self conscious and I did not want a bra. Like I was nine years old, I didn't want to go. <laughs> I just right. want a sports bra. Leave me alone, <laughs> right? Um, but this also. Because Kira Knightley's character, Jules, there was that scene, she had the short hair, which right. uh, kept coming up as not being feminine enough, I suppose. And then uh, I believe her mom said to her dad at one point, you've got a daughter, not a son. So essentially saying like this very gendering of the sports and the clothes right. and the hair that, yeah, this is not correct. This is wrong. She should be more feminine. I did find this interesting. I found a whole essay about how Jess, like starting with that glorious daydream that we see, uh, mm-hmm. 
It's not that she wants to be with Beckham. She has a crush on him. She wants to be him. Yeah. She, it's a very professional, like, she's imagining being as skilled and talented as he is. Yeah. Well, we also see it in the conversation he has. She's like, I played today. I was brilliant. Like, she's talking to him as a, as a, a co-player, as a mm-hmm. teammate, um, as if someone who uh, could have coached her and taught her along the ways. Other fun fact, that was David Beckham. Because for the longest time, the way they had it filmed, I thought it was just lookalikes. Uh-huh. But it was David Beckham on the film, and he he said he would do it. And he was actually very supportive of the title and everything, because at that point in time, he was a huge proponent of having women in soccer, women in sports, and talking about that that was necessary, and he was glad to see more of it and wanted his name to be a part of it. That could be a whole kind of a different other other <laughs> level, but just being able to support and show that he has, he was supporting it. So I loved that, too. Yeah, that's awesome. That is a very fun fact. <laughs> um, yeah, but I do love that. I love that aspect of it um, because we recently did an episode. I'm not immune. I've had my celebrity crushes, but I like that this was not a crush. It was, right. I want to be as good. It was Tony's crush. Ah, yes, you are correct. <laughs> uh, I also read a lot of essays about how powerful it was for people at the time who hadn't seen something like this to see kind of this camaraderie on the team, people, women playing and competing with other women, but still kind of maintaining those friendships. And also how for Jess, that was a new thing because she'd been playing with these boys in the park and they did have these comments. Um, But when she started playing with them, it was a different experience for her and it was a new experience for her as well. So, And she got confidence. Yes. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I did too. I did too. Uh, And then there was... uh, more like sports specific, but uh, there were kind of those comments around low turnout for the women's teams and how like they're never going to get anybody to show up. There was biased refereeing. And all, these are all things that, yeah, we're still talking about. Right. Has progressed, but still conversations that are happening. But they have to prove themselves more and more. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I loved it. I'm glad we picked it. I had a yes, great time. Yes, I'm glad you loved it. It was important that you liked it. <laughs> to me. That be the end of our friendship. <laughs> it's over. No, no, I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, <sighs> yeah, so uh, thanks for the suggestion, Samantha. And listeners, if you have any suggestions, we would love to hear them. Our email is stephanieandmomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I've never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. If you haven't watched it, Christina, you need to go watch it. I know y'all are younger. (laughs) Yes, but it is a requirement. (laughs) And (laughs) thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've never told you is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC.
The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. 